Welcome to another podcast from the Burlington Congregation of the Church of God International. You can find out more about CGI Burlington on our website at cgiburlington.org. So good afternoon, brothers and sisters. First, I just want to thank you, Dylan, for stepping in today, and thank you for helping out us and, you know, He's doing a wonderful job, and I remember my first time when I was doing this thing. It's not an easy job, especially when you're first time, you know. I remember that, you know, I wear all this outfit, and my shirt was just so wet and just stuck to my back. But I made it through it, and now actually there are points that I actually enjoy it occasionally, not too often. And I want to bring a greetings from the Kitchener congregation. I was a privilege to speak to this congregation last week, and they had united uh, meeting with the United Church of God from a Kitchener congregation. So we had a big crowd in Kitchener. I mean, big crowd, about, I would say, about 60 people, something like that. So it was, so it was a wonderful event, and we stayed for social. So we good, good, good thing to know some of them, to speak some of them, know them personally. And, you know, they're just, just the same people as we are. They're looking for the same thing, and they're dedicated to God, and they want to serve God as best as they can. So the title of my message today is, What is a Witness? And I, and I know that last week I missed, but I listened to the presentation from Pastor Ramakan over my computer. And I know the way how he challenged us. And, you know, he basically said it is our Christian duty to go and to witness. And he also brought some scriptures, especially from the book of Acts, when there, it wasn't just on the apostles back to go and preach the gospel. When the great persecution started, it was actually the apostles who stayed back in Jerusalem and all the other Christians during the persecutions, when they, you know, went farther distances to, you know, Judea and Samaria, they were preaching the gospel to all the other inhabitants of the land. So, what is a witness? I want to go deeper into this story, just to have a greater understanding. What is a witness? You know, we, we're talking about, you know, we need, we need to witness, we need to be witness, we need to witnessing. What it is, what are we looking at, what it does require, what is a witness, what when God's speaking about witnessing in the Bible, what is the meaning of it? And I know that for many of us, and especially our brother Gord said, as we get older, it's very difficult to, to change some things in our lives. It's very difficult to change our behavior. And, you know, we have our routines, we have our practices that we try to follow every single day. If something new comes across the way, it takes a lot of time. We question it right away. I'm not used to it. It's not part of my life. I don't want to have anything with it. But that's the reason why God gave us the Holy Spirit. So with the help of the Holy Spirit, there are some things that we can actually change. So what I want to do today is just, it's two-part presentation. We're going to cover it today, and we're also going to cover the second part. It's going to happen next week. So right away, I'm going to tell you, we're not going to be talking what the witness does. We're not going to talking what the witness say or what the witness goes, which is going to concentrate today. What is a witness? And to have a bigger, you know, better pictures, we have to start from the Old Covenant. Everything going to be in harmony of the scripture. doesn't matter what it is. If it's in the Old or in the New Covenant, it's got to be in harmony with the scripture. So we look at many, many examples. So you'll not be confused what the witness is. 
And we're going to start first with the book of Numbers, chapter 35. So I'll give you a time to just go there and open it, open your, open your Bible up. Book of Numbers, chapter 35. And this term witness is a broad term. It's got different, different meaning. Like, for example, we're going to go now to Numbers, chapter 35. And I'll give you a first example. If you're taking notes, you can write number one, whatever you want to do it. But, you know, let's, let's talk about the witness from the criminal point of view, based on a criminal cases. So right here, in Hebrew words, the Hebrew noun, you know, it's often used in the Old Testament in kinds of like a context on a criminal or God's law. And here we will see a witness is one who has personally observed a crime and is therefore not just qualified, but is also obligated to report it, and is obligated to testify. So in Numbers here in chapter 25 and verse 30, God says right away here, whoever kills a person, the murder shall be put to death on the testimony of witnesses. And he says, but one witness is not sufficient testimony against a person for the death penalty. So right away, God says, to punish crime, and especially with the death penalty, we need to have at least two witnesses. Not just one. One is not enough. Even if this person saw and experienced everything, the one witness is never enough to condemn somebody to a death penalty. God's law and every all the testimony is always based on two witnesses. Now, if you go to Deuteronomy, just the same concept. Deuteronomy, Deuteronomy chapter 17. Deuteronomy chapter 17. And God's adding here a, a little bit extra to this thing. It's not just, you know, based on one witness. It's just look what here what God says in his law. In verse 6, Deuteronomy chapter 17 and verse 6. You're going to read two verses, 6 and 7. Whoever is deserving of death shall be put to death on the testimony of two or three witnesses. He shall not be put to death on the testimony of one witness. There is also added another aspect to it. And this is very important, it's very critical, it's crucial, because something that doesn't exist in our law. The hands of the witnesses shall be the first again him to put him to death, and afterward the hands of all the people, so you shall put away the evil from among you. It's not just about the testify, we say, you know, like today you can see how many times people lie in a court under oath and just lie. And they just disappear. Sometimes they don't even have to face accuser face to face. They just testify. They lie and they just go away. In this example, it's a little more than just testify. You pick up the first stone and you stone the person. You throw the first stone if you testify against the, 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 the person. Now just flip a few pages over to Deuteronomy 19. Deuteronomy 19. And it's just to, you know, how important it is to God. And right here in verse 15 is the same concept. One witness shall not rise against a man concerning any inequity or any sin that he commits. By the mouth or two or three witnesses, the matter shall be established. Any matter. On the testimony of at least two witnesses. One witness was never enough in God's law to do anything. Now, there is also other aspect. In this case, in a criminalized case, to being a witness. 
it's not just enough that you observe something. It's not just enough that you, you know, you watch the act of crime happening. There is another obligation. It's right here in Deuteronomy, the same chapter, uh, verse 16 and verse 19, 16 to 19. If a false witness rises against any man to testify against him of wrongdoing, then both men in the controversy shall stand before the Lord, before the priest and the judges who serve in those days. And the judges shall make careful inquiry, and indeed, if the witness is a false witness who has testified falsely against his brothers, and verse 19, that you shall do to him as he thought to have done to his brother, so shall put away the evil from among you. So now we see the concept in God's law, how important it is to be witnessed, but also God says how crucial it is and how devastating it can be if you're a false witness. God hates false witnesses. And you know, you all know this thing in part of the Ten Commandments. Exodus chapter 26 and verse 6. You don't have to go there. 20 verse 16. You know, know all that. Well, go to Deuteronomy chapter 5 since we're here. Deuteronomy chapter 5, you know, how God serious it is about, about, you know, fault witnessing. Deuteronomy chapter 5 and verse 20. Chapter 5, verse 20. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. That's part of the Ten Commandments. It's very critical. It's very crucial. What we do and how we do, what we testify and what we testify. And I can also show you in Proverbs just go to the you know book of proverbs quickly proverbs chapter 6 and there are many many more scriptures in the bible but just 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 a few to just to give you an idea how critical how important it is proverbs chapter 6 proverbs chapter 6 and verse 16 the six things the lord hates and yes, seven are an abomination to him. And, he, and here is a list. A proud look, a lying tongue, hence that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked plans, feet that are swift in running to evil, and verse 19, a false witness who speak lies. You know, and there are many other scriptures you can go and turn. And you know, they're in the Bible, so we all have the idea, God's, God's, God's not just God's feeling, how God hates Full witness. So, there is also other aspect here in a criminal law of being a witness that is also not present in our society. I want you to go to Leviticus chapter 5. Leviticus chapter 5. Leviticus chapter 5 and verse 1. If a person sins in hearing the utterness of an oath and is a witness, whether he has seen or know of the matter, if he does not tell it, he bears guilt. So, you know, how many times that we see something, we experience something, and we just put a blind eye to it and we just walk away? God says if you experience something, when you see something in society that is happening, a criminal act or something happened, it's your duty to report it to authority. And, you know, we can look today in many, you know, high cases, criminal cases, there are witnesses that are afraid to testify. And they just say, you know, I have a right 
not to testify because I'm afraid of my life. But in God's, in God's case, in God's law, if you are a witness, you need to testify. You can't just hold it back and say, you know, like, hey, I can't do it because I'm afraid of my life or, or whatever, or any other reasons. So that's the first part. You know, when we talk about witness in general, we're talking about the criminal case, you can understand the mind of God. Now I will give you another one, the second one. There are many, many, many to go. So go through the Bible so you can see you have general idea. When you talk about witness, there is a multiple aspect of being a witness and what it is. Point two, legal agreements. And, you know, there are many transactions that took place in the Old Testament. And we can, you know, we don't have time to go through all of that. But let's go to Ruth. Ruth chapter 4. Ruth chapter 4. Ruth chapter 4. So I go a little bit slower. I give a, you know, brother a chance to catch up. So I told him to, I told, I told him to, that's okay. If we, if, yeah, just raise your hand and just don't be afraid to speak up if you're confused about the scriptures. Ruth, Ruth chapter 4, and right here in verse 9, we all know the stories, but we're just gonna, we're just gonna read it. Ruth chapter 4 and verse 9. And Boaz said to the elders and all the people, you are witnesses this day that I have bought all that was Elimelech's and all that was Chilean's and Machlin's from the land of Naomi. Verse 10. Moreover, Ruth, and Moab, Ruth the Moabites, the widow of Machlin, I have acquired as my wife to per- per- perpetuate the name of the dead through his, through, through his inheritance, that the name of the dead might not be cut off from among his brethren and from his, and from his, from his position at the gate. And it says here, you are, you are witnesses this day. And all the people who are at the gate and all the elders says, yes, we are witnesses. So we can see there are many cases, like in a legal agreement. You don't have to be a part of it, but you might just hear it. You must just experience something that, you know, some parties, two parties, three or four, make some kind of an agreement. It doesn't have to be a written form, but you're part of it. You observe something took place today, agreement between two people or two groups. And, you know, you become a witness just based on that. Now, just go to Jeremiah. There is another case. Jeremiah chapter 32. Jeremiah chapter 32 and verse, verse 9. So it's the same thing in verse 9. Jeremiah is saying, so I bought the field from the... Hanamel, the son of my uncle who was in Anatar, and waited out to him the money, 17 shekels of silver, and I signed the deed and sealed it, took witnesses, and waited the money on the scales. And in verse 11, he says, So I took the purchase, the boat that which was sealed according to the law and custom, and that which was open. So in the same case, a legal transaction took place in front of other people who became a witness to this thing, to this part of the legal agreements. So in this case, you know, this present witnesses were able, if something happened in the future, they were able to confirm and say, yes, I remember whatever, going back numbers of years, I was a witnesses. I was a witness here that this actually transaction took place, and this gentleman spent so much money and all this stuff, and, you know, I remember because I was actually at the case or was present during the whole, you know, ideal that was taking place. Now, in God's case, 
what I was, what I found very interesting when I was actually, you know, doing all this study, you know, lifeless object, I call it lifeless object, can be a witness too. As you go along. Yeah, you know, I was shaking my head too, but I'll give you many examples. Lifeless, lifeless objects, okay? First one. Uh, you know what? A, a, a body of a dead animal or a carcass of a dead animal can be a witness too. And I will show you in God's law how all of it is presented. Go to Exodus chapter 22. Exodus chapter 22. And right here in verse 13, Exodus chapter 22, and in verse 13, and in this case, it was a law. If Let's say your animal is missing and somebody else found it. In verse 13, he says, if this animal is torn to pieces by a beast, then he shall bring it as a witness, and he shall not make good what was torn. So basically, I have a dead body of an animal that belonged to my neighbor, and I have proof here that I didn't do, I didn't steal this animal. And this dead body that was torn by wild beasts is a witness that I have nothing to do with it. So that's one case. I'll show you another, you know, a pile of stones. And, you know, take many cases, many cases, many, many, in many times, in many, many examples in the Old Testament. But let's just go pick one in Genesis chapter 31. Genesis chapter 31. Genesis chapter 31 and in verse 45. So Jacob took a stone and set it up as a pillar. Then Jacob said to his brethren, gather stones. And they took stones and made a heap. And they ate there on the heap. And Levin called it a Jagar Sahaduta. I have a hard time pronouncing all the name. But Jacob, Jacob called it uh, Galid. And verse 40 in Laban said, this heap is a witness between you and me this day. Therefore, his name was called Galid. So basically, they just put a pile of stones. They make an agreement on it. So what was just basically saying that, you know, let's say in the future, anybody or both parties or anyone who was witness what kind of part of agreement was taking place, this pile of stones, when they were, you know, when they would travel by, they would just stop for a second, look at the pile of stone, and the pile of stone should remind them of something that, you know, has taken place or had taken place a long time ago. We should point them back exactly to what happened. What, what kind of promise whatever party makes to the other party. So this pile of stones could be a witness too. Now the next one. This is, was a shocker too. The song can be a witness. Go to Deuteronomy chapter 31. And in this case I'm talking about the song of Moses. Deuteronomy chapter 31. Deuteronomy chapter 31, and here in verse 19, Deuteronomy chapter 31, and in verse 19. And now, therefore, write down this song for yourself, and teach it to the children of Israel, put it in their mouths, that this song might be a witness for me against the children of Israel. When I, have, when I have brought them to the land flowing with milk and honey, of which I swore to their fathers, and have, and have eaten and filled themselves and grown fat, then they will turn to other gods and serve them, and they will provoke me and break my covenant. Verse 21. Then it shall be, when many evils and troubles have come upon them, that this song will testify against them as a witness 
for it will not be a forgotten in the amount of their descendants. So we see a son can be a witness. In this case, uh, God is asking, you know, this generation, he says, I want you to teach this song to everybody. You know, back then, not everybody could write. Nobody could read. It was just a small percentage of people who actually read and write. But many people were singing songs. He said, I want you to teach you. I want you, I want you to teach them these songs. And we can read these songs. It's right here a little bit later. We can hear the songs. He says, this song, whenever the next generation is going to sing the songs, this is my witness what I promised to them. You know, so you shouldn't be shocked. When they disobey me, and they're going to sing this song, they will see that the judgment comes along for you know, their disobedience. So you can see how it goes along. Even the song can be a witness. Now I'll give you another. An altar can be a witness. And you know, we go to Joshua. It was right at the beginning when they were, they, you know, were conquering the promised land. And you know, two and a half tribes were kind of separated by the river. And they built a big altar there. And, you know, almost became a national war, a civil war. In Joshua chapter 22, Joshua chapter 22, and just to give you a quick introduction in verse 10, and when they came to the region of Jordan, which is the land of Canaan, verse 10, the children of Reuben, the children of God, and the half-tribe of Manasseh, built an altar there by the Jordan, a great, impressive altar. But you just skip down to verse 26. Therefore we said, let us now prepare to build, build ourselves an altar, not for burnt offering, not for sacrifices. We don't want to profane our God. That would build the altar for some other good cause. But it may be a witness between you and us and our generations after us that we may perform the service of the Lord before him with our burnt offerings, with our sacrifices, with our peace offerings, that your descendants may not say to our descendants in time to come, you have no part in the Lord. Because they were kind of separated by the geographical of the river, and they knew it, that eventually time is going to come, they will say, hey, maybe you don't have part you know, with us because you live on the other side of the river. But they say, no, let us build an altar, Visible, beautiful, huge altar. We're not going to do any religious, you know, things on this altar. But it's just going to remind us, it's a copy of the altar. That whenever you pass and cross Jordan, and we pass and cross Jordan, it's going to testify, it's going to be a witness that we actually are brothers and sisters, and we're here for the same cause. So the altar was a witness, used in this case, in this example. Now, there is also a pillar that I found, that I found in Isaiah chapter 19. It's also used kind of like a, like a witness. It wasn't used because it's, I think it's a, it's a prophecy. In Isaiah chapter 19, Isaiah chapter 19, in verse 19. Isaiah chapter 19, and here in verse 19. In that day there will be an altar to the Lord in the midst of the land of Egypt and a pillar to the Lord at its border. And it will be for a sign and for a witness to the Lord of hosts in the land of Egypt. For they will cry out to the Lord because of the oppressors and he will send them a savior and a mighty one. He will deliver them. So we can see different kind of views of, diff, you know, of, of, a, of, a, of, a, of a witness in many different situations and many different forms and shapes. 
Now let's go to our New Testament and see if, you know, we can find something there about the witness in the New Testament. And, you know, go to the book of Acts, chapter 14, and you can see here that the rain and the seasons also serve as a witness to all of us. Book of Acts, chapter 14. Book of Acts, chapter 14. And in verse 17. Book of Acts, chapter 14, and in verse 17. Nevertheless, he did not leave himself without witness, in that he did good, gave us rain from heaven, and fruitful seasons, filling out hearts with food and gladness. So it's the same thing, you know, as we go through, you know, each year as we go through spring and summer, as we go through rain and, 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 and sun, and all this stuff, we just have to, we just have to be reminded of how, how great is God. God goodness and his mercies on all of people because he sends rain just not just for believers but also for unbelievers and he feeds all of us on this little planet that we call now earth and now you know we can look at Psalm 19 there's another example that God says you know the whole creation there is a witness and especially Psalm 19 and first three verses you don't have to go there I'll just give you a reference just for the sake of time but you see, all these examples, like, you know, the stones, the pillar, the rain, the seasons, and all kind of it, all can be used as a silent witness. You know, we hear about the term silent witness. So in this case, you know, God can use anything like that as a silent witness, you know, for us or against us. It depends on the situation. So what is a witness here? You know, we studied there are not all the cases there, but just, you know, it just happened, you know, I just, you know, I was just sitting and I tried, I tried to figure it out about the witness thing. And, you know, you just go and you just Google the word witness and it give you all the scripture reference. And I was amazed what you can go with it or as you go along, right? So what is a witness? See, witness can be anything that is used by God. Anything. It can be a person and can be an object. You know, dead body, as I mentioned, heap of stones, a song, an altar, pillar, rain, Seasons, earth, creation is designating the scripture as a witness. So, just study the criminal law and all the other things that we just did here, just briefly, right? We can say that witness can be, you know, someone who has a personal knowledge of something. That would be just the basic definition, right, when it comes to the people. A witness can be someone who has a personal knowledge of something. Accurate knowledge. Not just I heard something from someone. I experienced it. I saw it. I witnessed it. And that's why I testify it. A personal knowledge of something. And we can also notice here from the other example. That you know can be also object. We draw attention to, you know, some other facts or some other reality or remind us of something, of something, of something, of someone that happened in the past or something that will happen in the future. So in case of object, they always point to something else. The object in itself, they call our witnesses, but they don't attract the attention to itself. They point usually, you know, they point to something else, like in case they point to God. 
And where I'm going with it. Because, you know, we call ourselves Christians. Basically, Christian, what, what can mean Christian? We are like Christ. Christ-like Christians. So whatever we do, whatever we say, you know, whatever duty we perform, whether it be at home, whether it be at job, whether it be on the street, we're supposed to be always Christ-like. And, you know, this whole idea of witnessing, which we go a little bit deeper in my next part, you know, coming up next week. But, you know, if I study it, why would God want witnesses? For what cause? What would God call witnesses? You know, and it was amazing it was amazing I studied so many of the scriptures, and especially we're going to spend a lot of time in Isaiah a little bit later on. That everything, whatever we do, whatever we say, everything is supposed to bring glory to God. Everything's supposed to bring glory to God. And you know what I notice it? That's the entire plan of God, the entire plan of salvation, entire plan of creation. Everything's got the same you know, common thread throughout it, God wants his glory. He created us for his glory. He sent Jesus Christ here for his glory. The church exists on this earth, on this planet, not just for us, but for his glory. I am here, you are here, we are not just for ourselves. We are supposed to bring God's glory. Now let me give you some scriptures just to see it. You know, just to see, just to see the pictures. Go to Isaiah chapter 43. Isaiah chapter 43, and in verse 7. Isaiah 43, in verse 7. 7. Isaiah 43, verse 7. Here Isaiah writes here, Everyone, in verse 7, who is called by my name, whom I have created, for my glory, I have for him, yes, I have made him. So if God called us, if you walk on this earth, we are not just made just for our own gratification here. We are walking this earth. We're doing what we're doing, not because we feel like it or because we want to do whatever we want to do, but we are supposed to bring God's glory that he deserves. Right? Just go to verse 21. Just skip down to verse 21. And this people I have formed for myself, which is which Israel at that time, they shall declare my praise. It's the same concept over and over again. And what about the New Testament? Did anything change there in the New Testament? Let's go to Romans chapter 11. We'll go forward and back between, you know, some of the scriptures, New Testament and Old Testament, just to make sure that, you know, whatever I'm saying here, it's got a base in the Bible. Romans chapter 11. Romans chapter 11 and verse 36. It's just the one little verse here at the end of what the Apostle Paul was here saying here, but just write a little verse in verse 36. 
for of him and through him and to him are all things, to whom be glory forever. Amen. The same objective that was in the Old Testament, the same objective is in the New Testament. We are supposed to bring God's glory that he deserves. So God's got the same objective. The plan changed a little bit along the way. But it's always the same objective. Just go back to Isaiah chapter 48. Isaiah chapter 48. Isaiah chapter 48 in verse 11. For my own sake, for my own sake, I will do it. For how should my name be profane? And I will not give my glory to another. The same thing he said, the people fail me. But the word that I spoke, the word that I promised, that will never fail. Because I will not take my glory and I will not share my glory. I will not give my glory as a God to anybody else. And you know... And the perfect example, the perfect example of this whole story will be no one else than Jesus Christ. Just to highlight the point, how important it is, whatever we do, whatever we say, whatever we move, to bring God's glory. John chapter 12. So as I was saying, the objective never changed. Going through the Old Testament, going to the New Testament. John chapter 12. And in verse 27, Jesus Christ is about to die on the cross. And you know, he's not worried about his life. He's not worried about what's going to happen to him. On the last moment of his life, in here, John chapter 12 and verse 27. Now my soul is troubled, and what shall I say? And he says, Father, save me from this hour. But he says, but for this purpose I came to this hour. And in verse 28. Father, glorify your name. Saying the same thing. I came for this hour. I came for this hour to glorify you, Father. And you know, that's your purpose and that's your cause, what I came for. And I'm going to accomplish it no matter what. I'm not going to go through this horrible death. Because I'm going to bring you glory that you deserve. So as you can see, it's going. the message is the same throughout the Old Testament and the New Testament. Now, just go back to Isaiah 45. Again, Isaiah 45, Isaiah 45 and verse 22. So what God wants basically that eventually to all his plan, that every human being, that all people come to the same point, that everybody reverently come on their feet and worship the creator, the title that he deserves and the God for whom, whom he is. But let's see here in Isaiah, in Isaiah 45 and verse 22. Verse 22. Look to me and be saved, 
all ye ends of the earth, for I am God and there is no other. I have sworn by myself, the word has gone out of my mouth in righteousness and shall not return, and shall not return, that to me every knee shall bow. Every knee shall bow, no exception. Every tongue shall take an oath. He shall say, surely in the Lord I have righteousness and strength. To him men shall come, and all shall be ashamed who are incensed against him. In the Lord all the descendants of Israel shall be justified and shall be glorified. And we don't have to go there, but you can read Romans chapter 11, which actually Apostle Paul was writing a similar story relating to Isaiah here. But, let's go to Philippians chapter 2. Letter to Philippians, to the Philippians, chapter 2. I apologize for flipping forward and back, but I think it makes more sense. We just go, you know, forward and back just to see that the message is consistent throughout the whole Bible. Not just can pick and choose what we want and just, you know, try to prove from one sentence, one verse, or from one chapter. But it goes across the entire Bible. Philippians chapter 2 and look at verse 9. Therefore God also has highly exalted him and given him the name which is above every name. Speaking about Jesus Christ. That at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow of those in heaven and of those on earth and of those under the earth. And that every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord for what reason? To the glory of God the Father. That's God's objective going from the book of Genesis going all the way to the book of Revelation. That every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is the Lord. To, who, to whose glory? To the glory of God, the Father. Now, so, if you go, just one more scripture here. You go to Revelation chapter 19, as I said. It's go, it runs throughout the Bible from the beginning to the end. If you go to Revelation chapter 19, we'll almost read the same thing here. Revelation chapter 19 and in verse 4. And the 24 elders and the four living creatures fell down and worshipped God, who said of the throne, saying, Amen, hallelujah. Verse 5. Then a voice came from the throne, saying, Praise our God, for all your servants and those who fear him, both small and great. And I heard, as it were, the voice of a great multitude, as the sons of many water, as of the sons of many thundering, saying, Hallelujah for the Lord God, omnipotent reigns. Let us be glad and rejoice and give him glory for the marriage of the Lamb has come. So you see, it's only God who deserves all the praise and he's doing everything. His plan of salvation that he poured on this earth, the calling process that we are called, everything has the same destination. We are supposed to bring God's glory. And not just when the kingdom come, but we are supposed to bring God's glory in every single moment of our life. The way how we live our life, how we conduct ourselves, not just in church, but also at home. The way how we love our family, the, the, 
the, the way how we relate to our neighbors, the way how we relate to everybody, as Brother Gordon was saying in his sermonette, if we just hide from the word, then where is the light that it shines? Who's going to notice it? No one. That's not the purpose. God wants his glory. So as I said, God's objective is always the same throughout the Old Testament and throughout the New Testament. Now we're going to talk about a little bit of mechanics of being a witness. Why was it like that? Why got designed like that? We know in the Old Testament, God promised something to Abraham, which eventually he fulfilled. He said he will call a nation and then, you know, and there will be a seed and through the seeds all nations will be blessed. But in Old Testament, you know, as you can see, God wanted, God pick and choose a little tiny nation. Back then, it was totally insignificant nation. And, you know, as a matter of fact, in the New Testament, God pick and choose insignificant people, as Brother Gore was saying today. Not that many are wise, not that many are prime ministers, many are, you know, big dignitaries of the world. They can attract, you know, thousands of people on their social media. No, God picked insignificant people to do his job. For example, here in Deuteronomy, the objective for the Israel, when God was trying to describe his people, Deuteronomy chapter 7, Deuteronomy chapter 7, it's just one verse, one simple verse, Deuteronomy chapter 7, in verse 6, It says here, for you are a holy people to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for himself. A special treasure above all the people on the face of the earth. And what they were supposed to do. What was their task? What they were supposed to accomplish as the little nation. The same thing what I was saying. To bring God's glory to the nations. To show how powerful, how wonderful God is. And you know, God's plan back then was build a little nation with a center of Jerusalem. That from those little one point, you know, the whole the, all the message of God will spread to all the other neighboring nations and far away beyond. And you know, it worked. It worked for a brief moment. It actually did work. You know, when you will look at the map today. You would look at this little nation that is there, and you look at how strategic point it is on the map. You know, it's in the middle of three continents, so to speak. You got Europe to the north, Asia, and Africa. So it does the crossroads of all three continents. And God put them specifically for a reason. As people as trade would go, you know, they had to go past the land of Israel. And what God was hoping that these people would actually reflect. God's glory, they will show who they really are. And God will bless them so much that these people come to God. They will start asking questions. How come you are so blessed? How come everything, you are so prosperous? How come you have such a wonderful life here? They would ask questions, right? People ask questions. Something happened good in your life, people look at you. But they fail. They become even worse than some of the neighboring questions around them. So God changed the plan a little bit. You know, when you go to the New Testament... God changed plan. He adjusts a little bit. In the book of Acts, when you go to the book of Acts chapter 1. His objective is always the same. The plan is a little bit different. 
Remember, Israel was the central point that everybody is supposed to come in. Now, in here, in Book of Acts, chapter 1, and verse 8, Book of Acts, chapter 1, and verse 8, But you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and look how the reverse of the order, and you shall be witness to me, where? In Jerusalem, which is the central locations, but it doesn't stop there, then in Judea, and then in Samaria, and to the end of the earth. You see the difference now? It's not everybody comes to Jerusalem now. Not everybody comes to the Israel now. Now the message goes from Jerusalem. Goes outwardly everywhere else. In Israel. God was trying to teach these people how to live godly life. And to bring glory to God. But they failed. But they fell so horribly. That now the program changed a little bit. He said. You know, now I will scatter my believers among all the nations. The nations don't have to come anywhere. I'll put my believers into all the nations, into the all parts of the earth. And you look at this. Look at our group here. A little small, small tiny group here in Burlington. You know, we have Christians all over the place. You have Christians in China. You have Sabbath-keeping Christians in China that are growing like crazy now. You, have, you know, we have Christians in Pakistan, okay? You have Christians everywhere. You have Christians in, 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 in Russia that, you know, we may not be aware of. But God is still working. What he promised, God is still working. He's still trying to bring glory, these people, to God through whatever they do. So you can see when I'm talking about the objective and program, how objective is all the same. The program changed, adjusted a little bit along the way, right? Can you see it, right? Can you understand? Because now we're going to go into deeper into the mechanic of the witnesses, but it's going to come next week. But I want you just to see and understand what's the difference, what's the difference in the program, because it will be so much easier to understand the mechanics. Look at Luke chapter 24, the scripture that was read today. Luke chapter 24. And in verse 47, that's what Daniel just read today. In verse 47... And that repentance and remission of sins should be preached in his name to all nations. And it's the same thing. Now this time we'll start at Jerusalem and we'll go outward. And you are a witness of these things. And behold, I send the promise of my father upon you. But tarry tarry in the city of Jerusalem until you are endued with the power from on high. And the first case of it, you can see the day of Pentecost, when those these people for all kind of earths, you know, as you remember, as I think we, had, we used to have a Bible study, where I show you a map, all the people who are present from all kind of different continents, they came just to observe a feast of Pentecost, when the Spirit is a wonderful thing, when God sent his Holy Spirit, all of these believers, as they, were, as, as they came back home and prepared a ground for something majestic, you know, experience. So, I think I'm going to close. I just have one more scripture. Um, we're not going to go into deeper, you know, you know into, into the study. We're going to do it the next week. But I want to give you just a little appetizer, okay? Because there is a great definition. It still is in Isaiah, and we're going to take the scripture apart. We're going to take the scripture apart in Isaiah chapter 43. I missed the scripture for a reason. I skipped the scripture for a reason. Isaiah chapter 43, and you know, this one scripture gives us a total, 
a full definition what is a witness or what is a witness supposed to do, okay? Isaiah chapter 43 and verse 10. Verse 10. I want you to look in your Bible as we go along because we're going to spend a lot of time in this next week. You are my witnesses, says the Lord, and my servant whom I have chosen for what reason? For what cause? That you may know that's one thing and not just to know but you may believe that's two and not just know and believe but you also understand what? That I am He and I'll stop right here and hopefully this will give you more appetite so you can go home and look at the scriptures, take it apart, because then we're going to spend almost another hour just based on one scripture to see what a, what a witness is supposed to do. It's more than just going on the street and yapping your mouth. It's way more than that. So, brethren, hopefully, just in conclusion, just a quick reminder. You know, as you can see what we just studied on these cases, you know, about, you know, the criminal law, in the contract, you know, lifeless object. God can use anything as his witness, okay? And God would love to use us as his witnesses, but not everybody can be his witness. May God bless you, brethren. This has been a podcast from the Burlington Congregation of the Church of God International. We hope you are blessed by it. To find out more about CGI Burlington, visit our website at cgiburlington.com dot org.